I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. On today's episode, Ben Elwood and I continue our new season of Deep Dive Directors with part one of David Lynch's European movie version of Twin Peaks. My name is Justin Hamilton, and I'm enjoying this damn fine cup of coffee here at Big Squid. Part one of our two-part look back at the Twin Peaks movie David Lynch made for the European market. I'm sure of you might be a little bit confused by this, and you are not alone. Uh, <laughs> this was the first time that Ben had seen this version of Twin Peaks before, and uh, throughout the podcast I'll explain how this came about, and also talk about how uh, reflecting on this particular version of Twin Peaks has helped influence my Twin Peaks thoughts going forward. Part two will be released tomorrow, so keep your eyes and ears out for it then. Uh, Before we get into it, thank you for all the great feedback on the first short story written for the new anthology series we have on the podcast, Beautiful Tales for the Disenchanted. The first episode was published last week, and lots of great responses to it. Probably one of the most popular things that uh, I've produced on here, Uh, well, Like, maybe, I don't know. I'm just going by the feedback. It's been really good. I've had a lot of messages from it and uh, lots of people asking when the next one will be going up. Uh, So, uh, I'm not sure. We're working on the next one at this very moment uh, and I've also received quite a few emails from people asking if these stories will continue. Like, will the uh, story from last week, King Hamster, be a one-off or will it be a multi-part thing? As I said last week, It's an anthology series. They're all one-off short stories for the moment. Uh, This is an anthology series that will contain all types of stories because, essentially, I'm really interested in a broad range of genres and I don't want to be stuck writing the one type of story over and over again. 
So there's going to be all sorts of ideas uh, within this little segment, and there are some long-term plans for this anthology series as well. But you're going to have to wait out to find out what they actually are. I'm not telling you just yet. You'll find out eventually. Why are you being so impatient? Just relax. I will tell you the next story that we're working on is a murderous tale. It's got grotty behavior and smeared makeup. There you go. A little taster. little taster for what's coming next. Ugh. It should be a story that makes you itch. I'm very excited. Our Patreon shout-out for today's episode goes to Doug Wheaton, one of the many quiet supporters of this podcast. Doug, I sent you an email when you joined up and you haven't replied. Say hello to me, buddy. You're getting the Double Twin Peaks episode. Fingers crossed this is the type of movie you're into. Yes, I'm being a bit uh, needy. (laughs) No, you don't have to write to me. That's fine. Uh, People are busy. A lot of people don't even realise that there are emails on the Patreon site. It's a really funny thing. I keep having people uh, write to me saying, I had no idea this was here. If it's any consolation, it took me ages to work out how Patreon works. And uh, I'm still not 100% across it, to be honest. But uh, we, we seem to be getting there. Anyway... Doug, uh, thank you very much for being a supporter and I hope you're enjoying our year so far and I hope you enjoyed this two-parter as well. Okay, let's jump into our cars and drive up amongst where the Douglas firs sway in the gentle breeze. We're about to enter a small town that bursts at the seams with secrets. Some are laced through the community, some bleed in through the woods. Some suggest a shadow world we can barely comprehend. It is time to enter the world of Twin Peaks. Through the darkness of future past, The magician longs to see One chance out between two worlds Fire, walk with me She's dead Wrapped in plastic Uh, Sarah, what is it? Is Laura with you? No, why? She didn't go with you this morning No, honey, what's wrong? She's not here. She wasn't here this morning. Yeah, he's right over there on the phone. Sheriff Truman. What? Who? This is a terrible moment for all of us. For all of us. This was, for me, one of the hardest uh, scripts to prepare for mm. because there's a lot going on. Mm. And because we're uh, talking about Twin Peaks, the European movie that was made, which was essentially the pilot with an added 15, 20 minutes yep. that gives it a proper ending for people who want to watch it o- overseas. Proper in quotation marks, yeah, but yeah. sure, yeah. Uh, you know, as proper as Lynch gets, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, so, I'm, I, what I've tried to do is present us with stuff to talk about that, in a way, 
doesn't incorporate what we know happens in the series. I, yeah. And but I've worked out a way that uh, personally how I've incorporated it into sure. uh, a sort of continuity for it. But then also it's the it's the rabbit holes. It's like yeah. trying to do research is like. You know, oh, yeah, I remember that. And then click into that. And then you click into that. And then you click into that. And then it's like, oh, uh-huh, there's uh-huh. a few hours gone. It's Yeah, I was wondering I was wondering how you'd approach this. Because I found it really Because I know Twin Peaks so well. And I yeah. found it really hard to watch. Because I'd never seen this. as I'd never seen the European pilot before. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah oh, no, no, no. right. Uh, and I found it really difficult to watch it knowing everything that I know about the series. I found yeah. it very difficult to watch it as an isolated... This right. is a hour and forty minute movie. Yep, um, that's interesting. My first question was going to be, uh, when was the first time you came uh, across this? So I guess yeah. it was uh, Thursday last night. <laughs> <laughs> last night at midnight after I watched Spider Man No Way Home. <laughs> oh yeah, well that's a, that's the double we've all been waiting for, isn't it? Right. <laughs> Oh, by the way, just this is uh, as a little tangent. Mm. Uh, Monica, who is uh, a Patreon supporter of this uh, podcast, Hi, uh, at, lives in Adelaide. Shout out to people who know how to pronounce Lego correctly. Monica wrote to me and told me that one of my favourite uh, mm. theatre cinemas uh, seems to have closed down, maybe permanently or for all the while, the Piccadilly Cinema oh, in North Adelaide. No. And she said to me, um, oh, I-, I wish you could... Uh, turn it into a live venue where you do big squid shows and I immediately as soon as she read that I suddenly was like oh I suddenly know why I'd move back to Adelaide if I had enough money that I could open the Piccadilly Cinema and run it like the new Beverly in LA like Tarantino totally put on shows live shows and cinema screenings like Come and see our double of Twin Peaks and Spider-Man No Way Home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my Be dream has always been, if I was a mad millionaire, to uh, yeah. own a, a repertory theatre that shows um, older movies during the day and then yep. has, you know, bands or stand-up comedy or whatever yep. during the night. Or all sorts of things. Anything, right. yeah. anything you want, man. Shout out to Mon for putting that in my head and giving me uh, a new reason to live, a new goal. When Big Squid becomes the new Joe Rogan podcast, you can do that. Mate, <laughs> mate. When Spotify buys this for $190 million. Yep, and I bring Neil Young back into the fold (laughs) and Joni Mitchell. So that's very interesting. Uh, That's a really interesting experience for me for you to have watched it well after the fact. Because my experience is the complete opposite. I saw this on VHS before the series even came to Australia. The, the European pilot, not yeah. the pilot. Wow. The, the European movie, not the pilot. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, my uh, girlfriend at the uh, time, uh, Lorraine, uh, good first girlfriend, by the way. Good first girlfriend. Shout out to Lorraine. Shout out to Lorraine. And uh, and uh, my mate, Matthew Paxton, who I went to high school with, we watched it at his place. And, you know, I have been racking my brain as to why... We rolled the dice on this. I'm not sure. Maybe we'd read something in Premiere or, you know, one of those film magazines. Uh, I'm not entirely certain. Maybe I'd seen Blue Velvet. I'm not entirely certain. But anyway. It was in the zeitgeist. Yeah. Because I was, how old when this came out? Eight. Right. And but, I remember knowing about Twin Peaks at that age. Right, but this is but this is slightly before the zeitgeist begins right. with, because the series hasn't started yet. So it's oh, come okay, out as yeah, a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we watched it and like I just was mesmerized. <laughs> I could not 
as a as a young man, could not get my head around how it bounced back and forth seamlessly between horror, melodrama, mm. pathos, mm. and comedy, and mm. I had never ever seen anything like it before. Yeah, yeah. Like and just we couldn't stop talking about it. So by the time the series started, yeah. we were at fever pitch. It was like like vibrating with did excitement. Did you know did you know that the did you think that this was a standalone movie or did you know that this was going to evolve into a series? I think we knew it was going to be a series. Right. So then funnily enough when I watched the pilot. Yeah. Uh, I think it was a double episode pilot, if mm. I remember correctly. And it was this weird thing of going, oh, the last 15, 20 minutes is different. And yep. then seeing bits of it play out. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a fascinating experience. Well, most of the last 15 minutes of the European movie uh, kind of leaks out through Cooper's dream yes. at the end of episode three. Yes. That's what. That's how they incorporate it back into the series. Can I ask, do you remember, it's a long time ago, obviously, but do you remember when you got to the end of the experience, did it feel like a satisfactory conclusion? Because I have no, I can't ever, unless you know, like, I get a Men in Black memory zap and yeah. know nothing about Twin Peaks. Yeah. I can never... You know, you never know. I have no idea whether it's like you would sit there going, "Oh yeah, that's that, that's fine," or if you're like, "What the fuck?" No, it was uh, well for me. It was mesmerizing. Yeah, wow. uh, like I was completely seduced, yeah, and yeah, yeah. we couldn't stop talking about what it meant and what it <laughs> might mean. Yeah, and but you know, like imagine being what what was I sixteen, seventeen mm. in uh, in eighty nine or whatever, and suddenly they're talking backwards, and there's this little guy <laughs> snapping his fingers and it's like so much of the dialogue is still etched yeah. in my memory when also the way it's presented in this version uh there's no framing context for it because it, when, it, when, when, when you see right. the red room in the series you get the bookend of cooper in bed thrashing around it's clearly a dream mm. In this, it's just 25 years later, what the f- what? <laughs> what? What the fuck? I know. And then it just ends. I know. I can't, so I can't remember, <laughs> in all honesty, what uh, conclusions we came to back then. Yeah. I think, to be honest, if, if I remember correctly, I think we just kind of went with it and it was a mood it was a mood I'd never experienced. I, I, was, I was disturbed. I found it... Hmm. Really funny, and yeah. I found it deeply unsettling. And yeah. I, I think when you look back, uh, if it isn't ground zero, or it's it's maybe there's maybe a couple of other things, but it feels like it's the mainstream moment where TV and cinema. Yeah. Start flirting yeah. and start melding and yeah. and, and embrace and and you know at, yeah. at that point you know like TV you know it's called the idiot box wasn't it and then suddenly yeah. it's like like don't get me wrong I know there were good TV series before that but suddenly this is a highfalutin you know this is art on TV mainstream yeah as well. yeah and I think it comes down to the shifting tonal landscape mm. that's 
that I think that's the real change because you know there was great TV yeah. before then, but it there was always a consistent tone. Yeah, you know, I mean, just speaking about the red room sequence, the way it starts as you get that um, shot of the little man uh, from behind, yeah, and he's doing that t- like he's shaking and it's fucking terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, like all the skittish. noises. Like, oh. And then when he suddenly flips around, let's rock. And it's like, you know, suddenly the shine <laughs> yeah. shifted again. And, yeah. you know, it's that real, um, you know, it's almost like the way, it's, it's a similar feeling to how people feel when they see bugs or serpents yes. move. Yes. You, you feel unsettled because you can't predict how it's moving. Yes. And so suddenly it's on the other side of the room and then, in a blink, it's in front of you, and yes. you're like, "Oh God!" And it's very similar to watching these disturbing sequences in all of Lynch's films. I yeah. think that's the feel, that uncanny valley feeling that it gives yeah. you. Yeah, it definitely gave me. I wouldn't say nightmares, but it definitely gave me very creepy, weird dreams. Lots of mm. suddenly waking up at three in the morning and just going, <laughs> "Oh Jesus, what happened there?" Uh, look, there's there's heaps to talk about with this, and there are. Uh, there will be heaps of stories that you already know as well, but we'll save them for the squid bits. Yeah. But before we get to that, uh, of all the shows that have Twin Peaks DNA, yeah. uh, do you have any favourites? Like when you rewatch this, do you kind of uh, think of any modern uh, TV shows that Pro- feel like uh, you know you can see the lineage that that you love? Uh, probably uh, a show that we talk about a lot, um, Six Feet Under. I think. Yeah, has right. Yep, has those twin tonal swifts, doesn't it? Yeah, and, you know, dream sequences. Yeah. Particularly in the first couple of sequ- seasons was... Uh, and it's, it's in a very different way. I remember it, uh, Six Feet Under feeling revolutionary at its yes. time. Uh, particularly because, you know, you're in a funeral home and people are grieving and then all of a sudden it's like... turns into a Broadway number. Right. Um, so, yeah, so probably, probably Six Feet Under yeah. in, in that sense. Yeah, that's a good one. The... Yeah. Um, you know, that was a TV show that could one episode start with, you know, the, the two starts that are etched into my memory of Six Feet Under is the one where the girl's having the party in the car and she stands up and... <laughs> which is yeah. deeply... Like, I know if you haven't seen Six Feet Under, you're going to really think, what are you saying? But it's really funny. Well, if, if you if you haven't seen Six Feet Under, every the, the, the conceit is that every single episode begins with a random character dying yep. in sometimes a funny way, a, tra- yep. a tragic way, well, the, or they just die. And then the whole episode revolves around how the funeral home is dealing with their corpse and the different yep. issues that come off that. And the... You know what? I'm... In, in case anyone has experienced this, I'm going to be really careful with my wording, but the one that really upsets me is the the new family. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. The, uh, the one that I love the most, if we just divert into this for a minute, is yeah. uh, there's this beautiful sequence of a big family, a big European family mm-hmm. sitting around the table and they're all enjoying each other's company. And... Um, and but grandpa's right at the other end of the table looking kind of you know melancholy while everyone's eating and enjoying and his plate's quite empty and then for dessert they're all eating tin peaches and he's not and one of the grandchildren asks grandmother like why isn't grandpa eating tin peaches and she's like well you know he's got the diabetes he can't eat the tin peaches anymore that's not good for his blood sugar uh and then it cuts to later on the evening and he sneaks out to the kitchen and opens the cupboard 
and opens a can of tin peaches oh, and takes yes. a mouthful and yes. just the most sublime smile comes over his yes. face and you never see him die. It just fades to white yeah. and then you see his birth date and his death date. Yeah. <laughs> it's a be- if anyone, but- it's kind of, Six Feet Under is one of those shows that everyone still talks about The Sopranos and The Wire mm. uh, and Six Feet Under seems to have been lost in yeah. the mix and that is a great tragedy in terms of I really believe that, that to this day it's my favorite show of all time. Like yeah. I love Twin Peaks and I love other other ones, but Six Feet Under is such a groundbreaking show. I feel it's one of the only shows, probably the only show of its time that depicted human beings as the complicated, messy, fucked up beings that we are. Yeah, and did not flinch from that. Yeah, uh, and was brave enough to make you detest certain characters for. Full seasons and not detest in that Walter White way where it's like, right. oh, you love to hate him. Like, detest in, like, fuck you. Oh, uh, yeah. Who's, you are acting like a fucking who, piece of shit. Who were who the people that you flipped on? Oh, like, uh, the, most seasons I would hate, like, I hated David for long uh, stretches. Mate, so I couldn't stand yeah. David. Awful. And then he was my favorite character. Yeah, of course, at the end. you know, and, and, or Brenda, you know, like, yeah. on and on and on. But it's just, um, yeah, if, if, if anyone listening to this has never seen it, please yeah. do yourself a favour. It is just a remarkable show. And beyond that, it really... I mean, it definitely came to me at a time in my life uh, where I was really wrestling with the concept of death and dying. Uh, and it is one of the key texts that really uh, helped me process yeah. my own mortality. Yeah, uh, I used to watch it with my grandma after my grandpa died. Um, and unfortunately, she died at the end of the third season. Um but I think it was very therapeutic for her to yeah. watch that show. Uh, and the one thing that we can guarantee is it has the best ending of any TV show. The best ending show. of anything ever made. Yeah. Not just of any TV show. The best ending I, of any movie, of any I, book, anything. I don't know if it's technically for me the best last episode of a TV series, no. but it is definitely the la- best last six minutes. That last six minutes is I for get, the ages. I Suggest if you haven't watched it before, make sure you have a shot of adrenaline there. And uh, do not look up spoilers of how it ends. Do not look up spoilers. Uh, for me, I'll always have uh, a soft spot for the first five seasons of The X-Files, which really seems to, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, there, there's a scene where uh, Coops and the sheriff go into the abandoned trailer where, you know, where they find the pendant and that, yeah. and you see the light and you wonder if Chris Carter looked at that and went, X-Files, like yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, scene. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course. But also, um, for me, True Detective. Yeah, you know, of course. That first season of True Detective yeah, yeah, yeah. really, uh, you know, gets into that weird kind of crevice of, of the world. So, yeah. um, And also, once again, because there's so much going on, uh, uh, which mystery did you find uh, the most seductive? Um, to be honest, I'm not sure. Because, I, I mean, I, I remember I didn't watch this show. I didn't watch it when it came out. Oh, didn't you? No, right. I was too young. Oh, no, you were too young. young. Yeah. Uh, so I knew all about it. I, I knew all about it probably primarily through The Simpsons. The Simpsons uh, would reference Chief Twin Wiggum. Peaks a lot. Yeah, with well, the Chief Wiggum backward yeah. talking. But there's the one scene I remember. It's like Homer. <laughs> Homer's watching TV late at night. And you see on the TV, it's the giant... 
um, oh, yeah. doing a tango with a horse. Yeah. And, and there's a traffic light dangling. Yeah. And, and you just hear them go, well, here at Twin Peaks, we love black coffee and cherry pie. And it just yeah. cuts to Homer going, I don't understand anything that's going on. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, so it was, again, it was one of those. Uh, like so much of what The Simpsons did for me at that age, that kind of like, ooh, there's this whole world of Opens. things I don't know about. So I remember at 21 or around that age, they released the VHS yes. box set. Yeah. And I remember sitting with my friend uh, and watching them all. And I, I, like, I remember us sitting there going, whoa, this is weird. But it didn't really stick. And to be honest, I don't think the original Twin Peaks series... I, ca- I don't think I came to love the original Twin Peaks until after The Return came out. Oh, really? And then okay. it was, so it was like this almost like, you know, retroactive going back and yep. and appreciating the full spectrum of, yep. of it. But the mystery-wise, uh, the, the, what really stuck with me, obviously, was the, the main mystery, which is what yep. sticks with everyone. Yeah, the Laura Palmer, yep. you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say that that is fascinating. Yeah. Uh, as a young fella, it was the first appointment viewing. Mm. Like there were shows that I liked watching week to week, but this was the first go and then talk about it. And, you know, so by the time you get to something uh, similarly like Lost where, you know, you've, you've already been, um, you've already been conditioned, you've already been trained yeah, yeah, to yeah. know how to enjoy something and, and in, uh, embracing the, the, the conversation that yep. comes with it. Like yep. it was really fun to discuss and you think this, oh, I think this. I hadn't thought of that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it was really, um, and I'd never really seen anything where, uh, like Dale Cooper is fascinating because it's like, so it's a police procedural, and uh, but he's like, it's supernatural. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, but you know, I now you can, yeah, so, but back then it was like, what? Yeah, yeah, what is yeah, happening yeah. here? Yeah. That, that, speaking of mysteries, I think, uh, I, I do remember early on, beyond the Laura Palmer, like who killed Laura Palmer thing, really being taken by the, who was this person? Because, you know, clearly it's affecting that a young woman's been murdered, but mm. people are reacting way more extremely you know, yeah. then like the emotional output, like, you know, the, when the principal announces it, it's not just him announcing the death of a student. He's like, there's something personal in there. Yeah. Like he's had a personal interact. Like yeah. she seemed to be some kind of like angelic presence in yeah. people's lives that people would be completely destabilized. Yeah. Beyond just, oh, the tragedy of a girl in the town, you know, it's a terrible thing has happened. Yeah. Well, that's a, like that. Like who, who was she and what did she do? How did she, you know? Well, there's that crazy scene that, like, last two seconds of uh, Donna looking out the window and just seeing a, a student that you yeah. never see again running, screaming through the. That court. is yeah. such a fucking great sequence. That dawning realize I never liked in TV, you know, where it's like, oh, the police show up and they knock on the door and the person yeah. opens and goes, "Hi, can I help you?" And it's like. In reality, if, yeah. you know, you know, whatever, your fucking husband's gone for a drive and they're an hour late and the cops show up, instinctively you know yeah. something real bad's happened. And that, that moment of that dawning realisation, when they look at her desk, yeah. she's not there, yeah. you know, I think it's such a, it's such yeah. a powerful moment. And then, and then it's contrasted by James being completely disturbed, uh, Dana crying, and then this weird tableau of all the other students behind, almost like... Donna. 
Donna, sorry, yeah. uh, of, of the tableau of all the students behind, just like stone face, like like mannequins or something. Yeah. They're not reacting at all. You know the. Uh, you know what that reminds me of. I'm I'm gonna get the line slightly wrong because I haven't watched it in a long time. You've seen Contagion. Oh, when it came out. Matt Damon's response when he finds out that Gwyneth Paltrow's dead. Mm, I don't know. And what does he say? It's it's amazing. Yeah. It, it, like it's something like I. Uh, excuse me for I don't have time to look it up, but. Uh, the doctor says, oh, I'm sorry to tell you, but your wife's died. And his reaction is, oh, can I speak to her? Oh, God. You know? And it's it, that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's a real... Yeah. That's a real reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it's something like, can I see her or something? But, you know, something along those lines. But it's like, a yeah. no, 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 your, your wife's dead. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, uh, right from the opening scene with the bird... Uh, it still seduces me. Angelo Badalamenti's music. Is that a, it's not a real bird, is it? No, it looks yeah, completely it's, fake. It's like, yeah. It's like the bird what? from um, at the end of Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet, right. It's ridiculous cuckoo clock bird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's... But with the music... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, why, why are the credits so effective? Uh, well, they're very hypnotic, but it's also mm. balancing out the serenity of this town. But then there's this subliminal image of savagery mm. because one of the first things you see is these metal teeth mm. s- yes. grinding wood yep. like there's a violence there an under- undercurrent of violence yep. that, that, that isn't commented on through a change in the music or anything it's incorporated in but I think subliminally there's, a, there's an unsettling quality to it yeah you know, there's something that's churning away. Yeah, Destru- some destructive force. It's it's kind of yeah. The the music shouldn't match up with the what we're watching, but yeah, I think it's doing a similar thing to the the ants under the grass sequence in Blue Velvet. Yeah, just that that just that reminder of like yeah la 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 everything's nice, but yep. just under the surface Have everything's a little fucked. Look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this show really brought the genre of small town that appears cheery and mundane but hides horror below the surface to mm-hmm. the mainstream. Uh, before we really dig into it, if you were going to write a story set in a world like this, where would you base it? <laughs> the northern beaches of Sydney. Oh, yeah. <laughs> where everyone's shiny and beautiful but everyone's really fucked up. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd do a sun-drenched version in Adelaide. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 It's, it's you know, because uh, Home and Away, the, the, the hit Australian drama is shot in Palm Beach, you know. Right. And um, I think the most realistic thing about Home and Away is what most people think is the most unrealistic, that, you know, every week there's, you know, some murder or oh, something yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't, it, uh, wasn't it that didn't someone work out rather hilariously that the town in Blue Heelers had the highest murder rate of any place in the, in the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really entertaining. Yeah. Um, big uh, uh, shout out to... Uh, oh, anyway, don't worry about it. I was, was going to... You're about to bury someone. No, no, no. <laughs> anyway, doesn't matter. I'll tell you afterwards. Um, the credits segue from the music and view of Twin Peaks to an opening shot of Joan Chen yes. staring into a mirror. One of the most beautiful women who's ever been committed to screen. Like. Yeah. Like just. It's outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't appreciate this at the time when I first, write, uh, when I first saw it. Mm. But right from the get-go, going from this very American, yes. you know, northern passage kind of place, it 
immediately suggests an otherness to this story. And this happens throughout the movie. The lights flicker in the hospital, an antelope's head on a table just because it fell down, a random student breakdancing out of a scene. (laughs) (laughs) Still funny. Uh, Is there a scene or a vibe that stands out to you that as Talks to this otherness. Uh, well, I mean, I think Speaks it's I think it's otherness. the most kind of obvious in the character of um, Sarah Palmer. Oh, good work. That, yes. Oh, yep. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, she clearly has some kind of otherworldly powers, like she's got some kind of psychic ability, or yeah, you know. Well, the, it's funny. Like, is that? Uh, sorry to interrupt. No, no. Is that? I was trying to watch this like when I first watched it. It was to me, it was at that time yeah, yeah, yeah. just a mother's intuition. Mm, no, I think it because you know because she has the vision. You know, I, 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 we're skipping right to the end of this, yeah. but it's relevant to the point. Yes, she uh, at the end when she's having her like uh, freaking out on the couch, and she quote unquote remembers seeing Bob at yeah. the end of the bed. Yeah, that's not true like the, the killer wasn't actually hanging out in the bedroom and she just you know while looking for her daughter like forgot that she saw this terrifying right. man like i think she's having a vision yeah of this weird entity well or whatever yeah. the fuck he is especially now that you can uh see him in the mirror so yeah. clearly yeah, as yeah, well yeah. yeah and he's like right there crouching yeah. on the bed oh. um and you know and then i think a lot of that's kind of um the fan yeah. is a big part of that. The, the yeah. There's something mystical about that. And I think that she, you know, she definitely seems like a highly strung person. Oh, yeah. But her leap from, oh, Laura's not home to knowing that right. something is very wrong right. is immediate. Yeah, you know, before she's even rung Bobby's parents to say, "Hey, is Laura with Bobby?" Yep. She's already like, you know, and maybe she's been like that forever. But I don't think so because Laura is constantly kind of. I mean, again, this is something we come to know, but from what we do know of what happens later, Laura is constantly in and out, mm. going places, doing things. Well, isn't she the little girl that gets the frog that crawls into her mouth? Is she? It's kind of implied. Yeah, like, yeah for twenty-five years later. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's her, but it's yeah. never really explicitly stated. I think that I think that Sarah Palmer has, I think she has one foot in this weird mm. dark netherworld. Mm. And if we want to go right ahead, basically she has this fucking demon gestating in mm. her, which we find out m- many years later that she basically is one of these uh, dark lodge entities. Mm. Um, but even if you remove all of that, I think there is a, a suggestion in this just this standalone European pilot movie that she there's something going on with this woman that is otherworldly. Yeah. Or at least deeply unsettling. Yeah. Man, Grace Zabriskie is a standout. Yeah. She is yeah. so delightfully right on the edge of yeah. unbearable to watch with the melodrama and it's fantastic. It's it's such a well performed mm-hmm. uh, piece. By the way, how uh how delightful is it to see the old-fashioned ring around oh, yeah. to find where someone is? Like, now it'd be like, I've sent her 17 text yeah, messages yeah. and I've called her nine times, but the ring around, which 
was the thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I always remember that Tommy Dean bit where he's like, it's a, it's a testament to Australia's laconic nature yes. that your emergency number is triple zero. Yeah. And zero is the, the, oh, yeah. the and longest the, number on a rotary phone. Oh, oh yeah. my God, I'm being stabbed. Yeah. Tommy Dean. <laughs> so funny. Um, there's a lot of heavy lifting very early in the movie. Mm. Uh, once again, it's um, so funny to... I'm loving rewatching this stuff with the podcast in mind because it's because mm. then you know like I've always loved this and I I was really looking forward to watching mm. this, um, uh, but watching it properly, you know, I've I've tried to group these into broad headings. Yep. So I I know that all this is like um, anyway, it's very broad and I know they all touch on each other and characters go into each uh, kind of uh, section. But um, there's the Packard Mill. There's the gossipy and slightly amateur sheriff's department. <laughs> There's everything happening at the high school. There's the double R diner, which appears trapped in 1953. There's yeah. the family that owns the Great Northern Hotel. Yeah. There's Ed's gas station. Yes. And there is the trouble at the roadhouse. Yeah. Oh, and, and there's um, uh, Leo's house. And Leo's house. Yeah. I, I kind of put... Le- I, I didn't Pardon. mention Leo's house because I kind of put that under the double R yeah, diner sure, sure. with, with yeah, Shelley. Yeah, but yeah. that's what I mean. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, like that's giving it all broad headings. Maybe, you know, even mentioning Ed's gas station does that kind of... Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's... I'm just fascinated. How do Frost and Lynch... And we should always remember that Mark Frost is very important in this yes. as well how do they just set it up so succinctly? It's a masterpiece, isn't it? Yeah, no, it? it really is. And it really gives you that idea of the lived-in world. It's it, it's something that a show like The Simpsons took four or five seasons to accomplish. Right. That notion that you could just... Now we're at the mayor's office. Now yeah. we're at the police station. Back to yeah. the school. Back to the house. You know, and feel like yeah. it, it all had weight. And that when you're spending time with character A, character B is still going about their day. You're just not seeing it at that time. Yeah. So... I think that's part of what makes the opening credits so hypnotic because mm. they go forever, yeah. like so much longer yeah. than normal credits. <laughs> yeah. uh, just off the top of your head, this, like, I honestly. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My jaw dropped to the ground when I read this. Um, Do you know how many main characters there are in the show? Oh, there must be... There must be 20 plus. Yeah. Yeah. 33. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) 
It's crazy. <laughs> it's but it's a, t- it's a town. Mate, it is a town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Oh, but- wait. When you say main characters, are you including even bit characters like... The the, no, the doctor that, who takes uh, Cooper to go and see. Well, I think he's a main character, but I don't think it includes. Uh, from what I was doing, I don't think it would include um, Audrey's brother. Oh, he is a character, but I mean, he is a character. Yeah, he he's is. a great character. <laughs> who knows, right? Uh, was there a setting that appealed to you the most? Was there one that you always were happiest to get back to? Um. The, the, look, the, 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 I think the police station only because it's the one place where <laughs> there's like a sense of there's no malevolence at the police station. Yeah. There is in the jail downstairs. Yeah, but above the above the jail cell, there's no. It's it may, it may, it may not be my favorite place to be, but it's definitely the place where you can fucking breathe and be fairly assured that some hideous fucking demon isn't going to burst out of the walls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know, the um, you know the only mal- mildly malevolent thing going on there is you, you just got to tell Lucy not to tell everyone what's going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck, she's funny. Like, she is so funny. Yeah. Uh, I think it's the roadhouse for me because whoever's booking the acts there is the greatest booker in the history of anything. <laughs> like, well, the fact that the band doesn't stop when even when a brawl's going on. <laughs> it just keeps going. <laughs> Mate, so funny. Okay, let's uh, dig into uh, what this is all about. Mm. Uh, the women in this series are all fascinating as the men in society in general attempt to pigeonhole them into being types that they constantly rebel against. Laura is the obvious example, the hometown prom queen with her dark exploits. Yet on closer inspection, we have Audrey rebelling against the stifling nature of being her father's daughter and we realise that she actually has a lot more agency. Mm-hmm. Donna is the good girl who still harbours secrets and physically and emotionally is abused by her boyfriend mm, Mike yep. Shelley is a young woman who is afraid of her partner Leo who wants to own her so much so that he knows what types of cigarettes she smokes yes. which is terrifying he is terrifying in this yeah. um, Josie is trapped not just by what the men think of her but also her sister-in-law uh, which of these women's stories are the ones that you find uh, the most fascinating um, I think from the perspective of this uh, initial movie, probably um, Josie. Yeah. Only because there's multiple layers to it. Yep. Uh, and, the, and 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 that, that kind of like otherness that you flagged very yeah. early on. There's there's obviously something more going on than we know. Yes. And it's the least kind of relatable. Like I think the yes. The, the, the teenage girl stuff, you can kind of, you know, you've seen that depicted before. Right. You know, the, the rebelling against family, rebelling against expectation. Um, with her, there's there's definitely a level of control happening, especially from um, Catherine Martell. Yeah. Um, but we also get the really deep understanding that Josie's probably more in control. Yeah, that she's letting on. It's interesting, isn't it? Is this a, a sign of our age? Because I was all about Josie in yeah, this Josie's rewatch as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's because uh, you're also like, geez, how did she just kind of get here? You know, it, it yeah. just doesn't really make any sense for specifically the time when this story oh, is 100%. set. Yeah, 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 I would, I would have loved to have seen her come back in some capacity for the return. Yes, but um, you know, you know, we all know what happens to Josie. Well, not all of us do. No. What happens to Josie is very fucking strange. If you haven't seen it, it is very <laughs> strange. Um, I, you know, something I noticed on this rewatch, which I had not really noticed before, is that 
even you know we're, we're talking about how the women are you know gazed upon you know the male gaze of mm. the women through Twin Peaks and I think something that is often mistaken with Lynch and I've had I've had uh, uh, conversations about this with some people in the in the past is that some people think he's sexist mm. but I flip the other way and I think because if you look and you go well they're all beautiful and they're all this mm. and it's like yeah but you're missing all the other aspects of, of this story yeah. and the thing that I notice on this one is even pure Dale Cooper checks out Norma, Josie and Audrey and he's also more excited that he might be able to track down a serial killer than acknowledge the death yeah. of Laura. Like he's yeah, 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 he's yeah. more he's more excited about solving something than the emotional weight and psychic backlash this is going to cause yeah, yeah, on yeah. the town. And the funny thing that was so like it was just a funny thing when I first watched it, but with that in mind, he even flinches when he has a chance to speak to the log lady's log. And when he flinches and she says, "Yeah, I thought so," it's like even the log lady knows, even for all of his virtues. He's the same as the rest of the men in the town. Yeah, I think the the, the the charge of Lynch being sexist is, I think, I think it can be refuted in a lot of different ways. Uh, first of all, I don't think that he's sexist. I think that he is uh, very libidinal. Mm. I think that he loves beautiful women. Mm. I think that he likes to fuck. Mm. Uh, I think he likes the female form. I think he worships women. Uh but those traits aren't inherently sexist. No. Sexism to me is a lack of respect and a right. lack of reverence. Right. And he and clearly he- has a profound reverence and a profound respect. And that is evidenced in any time you see one of his female cast members speak of him or with him, oh, they so- are completely in love with him and yeah. have complete faith and trust in him. Yeah. They, 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 you can see them literally like their hearts. When, when Laura Dern or Naomi Watts... Uh, talk about him. They yeah. are just glowing. Yeah. There's there's a um, there's a moment in there's a there's a DVD a, a, a Blu-ray extra where Lynch is having coffee with uh, Kyle McLaughlin and I think Magic Magicky I can't remember Magican Amick Magican Amick the yep. the woman that plays um, Shelley Shelley Yep. Um, and there's a moment where Lynch, you know, he can, he comes off as a bit of a fucking old perv. Right. Where he's like, yeah, I, I thought you were beautiful, Magican. I just, I wrote, I wrote it into the script where I'd get to kiss you because I just thought, and, and like in any other, like, I feel like any other dude saying that, it'd be like, oh, yuck. Yeah. But she fucking like blushes and she's like, it was one of the greatest honors of my life to kiss you, David. And like, yeah. but like, she's like, so it's like, they clearly have this bond and this yeah. trust yeah. that sure, if you don't know their relationship, you could, as a person judging from the outside, go, yuck, he's fucking objectifying her or whatever, but. Is it objectification if she doesn't feel that at all, and right. she relies on the fact that they've got the strength of relationship and there's right. an understanding? Right. That I don't. I, I just don't. I don't think he's sexist at all. I think his depiction of he, I, the only other director I can think of that depict who, who's a man who really depicts women in his films is Bergman. Yeah. Most Bergman films is about uh, are about women. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pedro Almodovar, you know, those kinds of directors. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, he has more of a outside of American sensibility in his approach to 
yeah. filmmaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't think that the... Again, we've talked about this a few times, this kind of... This thing that's maybe a bit, a bit more popular now where it's like, you know, for as sexually liberated as the society has become, there is this weird kind of regression into like, you know... Don't say that you like sex. That makes you a pervert or right, something. You right, right. Like yep. if, you're, if you're a guy and you say you get horny, that's disgusting. Yep. It's like, I just think that Lynch is very in touch with all aspects of his manhood. And yeah. he, you know, I don't think he's sexist at all. I think he no. just likes women. <laughs> I think he's really ahead of the curve. And this is part of the enduring popularity and yeah. of not only the series, but how it has... It still feels modern in a way, and yeah. it still feels uh, like it's influencing people well past, you know, like like it lost both of its Emmy Awards to a TV show called LA Law, which was yeah. a very good TV show. Yeah. But you know what nobody has? An LA Law tattoo. 100%. <laughs> and, and, you know, like... And there's, and there's some people who are hearing this going... Holy shit, I haven't thought of LA law. <laughs> of course. Yeah. No one talks about it. And like obviously it's a very um narrow um uh like survey spectrum, but of all the people I know, the most massive Twin Peaks slash David Lynch fan are female. Yes. Yeah. Most dudes I know are like, yeah, I don't mind him. Like yeah. I like my Holland Drive. Yeah. The women in my life like they, David Lynch's work is extremely yeah. important to them, and 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 a person maybe not so much these days, but another person who the sexism chart's been leveled leveled out a lot was Nick Cave, right? Uh, and again, the females in my life, it's like yeah. Nick Cave is like a god, yeah. Like they, so I just, it's like you know, yeah, sure, maybe some stuff, you know, yeah, you listen to the Wild Rose from Murder Ballads where yeah. he's singing about caving in. Kylie Minogue's head with a rock. Right. Yeah, you could say in isolation, that's sexist. But it's like, well, that's one song of fucking 150. And, also, it's, and, it's, and there's a context to it. Yeah, there's a He's context singing in the it. voice of a fucking murderer. It's not, it's not him going, I'm Nick Cave and I want to kill a woman. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> wow. I would listen to that. <laughs> By the way, a uh, little hammo fact. <laughs> yeah. uh, when I was in the Bunza Boys, we used to do a song parody of where the... Wild Rose is oh, great. Really? Yeah, yeah. And it's it a used great to, song. and it used to finish with me placing a uh, a rose between Damien Kilsby's butt uh, cheeks. Te- teeth. Not teeth. Yeah, right. no. That, we weren't you like <laughs> I wish I wish you'd if you can go back in time tell me that so that's how we'll do it. Um also and we I don't want to uh, dwell on this but Fire Walk with me uh. was a movie that when I first saw it I did not like. We'll get into it when we get to it. Yeah. But that, in uh, my reappraisal of it, was that it was ahead of the curve, uh, sp- especially for where we are now, because it does remove the Laura as the uh, a figure that uh, instigates the story and turns her into a character, and you yeah, give yeah, her yeah. agency. And I think Twin Peaks: The Return builds on that. A hundred percent. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, look, I think it's very telling that there's certain. Like someone like Lynch again, like just to, just to put a pin in the in the sexism charge, which I, I hear now and then. I don't hear it in the main, but I don't hear it too often. But it, I've heard it, it, it does enough come that up. it is. It does yeah. come up. Um, you know what? Lynch has never dealt with once in his fucking seventy five years on Earth a public accusation of sexual harassment or. Right. You know, overtly creepy behavior. You know who has a lot of guys that are like, "I'm the nice guy." 
I'm oh, a male yeah. feminist. Oh my god! So like you know, I, I, give me give me the guy. Who, you know, I, I've I've always preferred a person who wears their um, their passions on their sleeve, yeah. and you know where they stand. You know, as long as again, as long as they're not being a fucking dirtbag about it. Yeah. But it's like you know, fucks. Yeah. So he likes women. Like, what are we fucking? I think there was some weird falling out with. Um, the man from another place actor, Michael J. What was his last name? I'm trying to look it up. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I think there was some weird thing with him that got pretty much refuted. Yeah, like, that, that sounded like him being a fucking bit of a psycho. Yeah. But I'm talking from, from his, you know, even his ex-wives. There's no like, yeah. you know, Isabella Rosalini didn't come out and go, oh my God, living with David was, she yeah. said living with him was really hard, but it was more to do with his eccentricities and oh, just yeah. him being David Lynch well, rather than, you Didn't know. he drink a vanilla milkshake for lunch every day for like three years? Like, you know, <laughs> that is... At some point, yeah. you'd be like, oh, yeah, you know what? I'm now lactose intolerant. Uh, time to move on. Your breath stinks like vanilla milkshake every fucking oh, day. Oh, my God. I have like you, Have you ever read the Frank Miller, Bill Sinkovic's Daredevil graphic novel? No. Oh, my God. It's so good. That's where you get the image of Kingpin for Into the Spider-Verse. It's from that graphic oh, that novel. fucking wall of meat. Yeah. Uh. And uh, there is a, there's a villain in that where... Uh, you can smell milk on his breath and oh, it's never yuck. it's never left me as it, it was such a and I read that as a kid as well and it was such a vivid mm. oh jeez um in in for a fun chat mm. the introduction of Dale Cooper for me is one of the greatest first moments for a character in television <laughs> uh so much so that I can still remember so much of that dialogue because yeah. I had it memorized as a kid <laughs> it's so funny yeah 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 and he is immediately adorable and there's just so many moments like um when he's kind of given the news to the sheriff like okay i'm here now i'm going to be in charge i've had trouble in the past and the sheriff's like yep no worries and then it's just like you know what i'm just going to stop you in the hall right here and say what are those trees yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) so good and his acting is you know this isn't quick edits these are long, locked-off shots, yeah. and his way of segueing is... With the segues perfect. that make you believe that it's a real person. You know, yeah. it's not just Johnny Law coming in and, you know, having one tone. Like, he's he's incredibly warm, and then he's incredibly, you know, firm when he needs to be. Yeah. That moment where Dr. Jacoby tries to worm his way into the autopsy yeah. room. And I don't know if you noticed the way he's fingering the fucking yes. cooler girl on his yes. tie. It's, it's so disgusting. Oh. <laughs> so disgusting. But like, um, you know, Dale has a, a genuine visceral distaste yeah. for this guy. Like, yeah. oh, yuck. He is smart. He's curious. Yeah. He's deliberately and unconsciously funny. Yeah. Like he's spiritual. He's factual. Mm-hmm. Uh, he really enjoys doing his job. Yep. Like, he's into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I but, get the impression he is an analogue for Lynch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I even like when he's asking for some place to stay. Yeah. Uh, you know, when the off chance that I uh, get to go home, uh, is there a TV in there? Yeah. You know, that'd be good. <laughs> Pragmatist. Oh, yeah. It's so great. And, uh, you know, like, there's so many lines just in the, uh, like, when he's whittling. Yeah. You know why I'm whittling? That's what you do in a town like this. And, uh, you know, just asking for a donut at a, at a random moment. It's all great. Mm. Um, 
since we talked about Blue Velvet last time, uh, would you have been surprised if it was later revealed that Jeffrey had left his suburban life and reinvented himself as Dale Cooper? Dale Cooper. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He'd, he'd taken all his awful traumatic experiences and channeled them into something good. <laughs> yeah, he'd, 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 he'd kind of gone Lost Highway. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now I'm Dale Cooper. And totally. This is the only way I can cope with it. <laughs> this- well, I mean, that, 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 I mean, again, not to... I mean, it's, it's very hard to talk about this without... Like, I, I, I oh. swore on the walk here that I'd be like, oh, we won't talk about any Twin Peaks. We'll just keep it to the movie. No, no, I know. This is what but, I was saying about how hard it was to write for it. But very briefly, that is a true thing that we find out about Dale is that he has experienced great grief and great yes. trauma and has chosen to turn it into something positive rather yeah. than be a bitter, twisted wretch. Yeah, yeah, so, he's a great character, like yeah. one of the greats. Yeah. Uh, this movie feels like Lynch and Frost's statement on American culture. On the surface, there's the sense that this is a country that believes it still holds 1950s values. Mm. Patriotism, apple pie, damn mm. fine cups of coffee. Yeah, underneath there's scheming politics, there's economic concerns, there's the treatment of women ranging from abuse to empowerment and mm. a dark undercurrent that eats away at the facade of the story the country tells itself. Yes. With that in mind, is Cooper the ultimate cipher, the all-round good American boy who believes he can fix everything, but no matter how skilled and well-intentioned he is, he is doomed to fail? Yeah, and I think that's the ultimate um, bummer of Twin Peaks, Mm. is that it's not just the story that America is telling itself that that's a lie, Mm. which I would argue is why America is tearing itself apart at the moment. Yeah. Uh, I think that the collectively the nation has awoken to the thing that many people awakened to in their early 20s of, yeah. oh shit, it's all a lie. Yeah. Uh, except they're in their 60s and they've dedicated their entire lives to it and they're fucking angry. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I think the ultimate bummer of Twin Peaks is, yeah, that even a good man, even the ideal yeah. that is truly the, like truly the thing that, that America aspires to be can't, ultimately fix it and in fact what we come to realize the, the desperate attempt to fix it fucks it even more in yeah you know in, in, and that like that i mean we're, we're skipping way ahead to the end of the return now but that that is a a conclusion that i still whatever it is four years after the fact have a very difficult time squaring myself with okay so it's a dark dark statement right so okay so two things uh so even let, let's ignore for, just for this part that we know that there's more story yeah. to come. So uh, I feel like the ending suggests that Cooper will never be able to let go of his failure to solve the Laura Palmer murder when he's an old man trapped in his own thoughts 25 years later. That was kind of like yeah, an interpretation sure. yeah. of that last scene. Yeah. So it's not necessarily uh, happening, but that's, you know, yeah. that's his subconscious kind of working it through and he's, he's never been able to let go. Yeah. So, look, this is a tangent, but have you... Oh, God, have we discussed this? I'm having deja vu, something you've never experienced, (laughs) which I'm fascinated by. Maybe that's because I'm in tune with all the other Hanos of the multiverse. But um, I'm the only me in the whole multiverse. It's amazing. You're you're the anomaly. (laughs) But um, have you heard the theory about watching episodes 17 and 18 of Twin Peaks The Return concurrently? Like one on top of the other? Oh, yes, I have heard And how this. they sync up. Yes, 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 I have. So, you know, if you kind of watch them and they sync up, yeah. it's it's actually a really positive ending. You because, really? Because 17 is the ending. 
18 is before 17. Right. So it's um, so in the end. So if you watch oh, it, wow. yeah, we should do this, right? So if you wow. watch it that way, it's like eighteen is uh, uh, when when she when he go like he actually does he actually does save her, and what it means is that the when because in seventeen he says I hope to see all of you again, but uh, when he goes back through time with Diane, he, he already knows he's going to succeed. So that's why he says, I hope to see you again, because he knows he's going to reset the timeline. And uh. he, when she goes off in the darkness to, uh, to find Leo and, and be murdered, he actually does rescue her from that, which means the moment that Carrie Page screams, it's her finally blowing away the, the evilness of Judy. So it's not, and because it's right. all tied up with electricity, it's it's blowing her away. Finally, finally getting rid of her, and <laughs> it means you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this interpretation that I, was, I, I yeah, I'm sure it's a valid, it's, yeah, a valid interpretation. But of course, as someone who works in these circular storylines, of course that arsehole wouldn't fucking finish in a way that was easy for us to interpret or, you know, but you, you know, you, you can finish it. Like, I'm not saying this is the correct way of looking at it, no, but I no have to say, way. as I said, this, this, uh, <laughs> this took me like yeah. a week and a half yeah, to write yeah, 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 this, yeah. Yeah. but looking at it and doing the breakdown. And the idea is that he has to go in and where they go is the real world where we are the voice. Yes, 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 and yes. so it's blowing away the, the voyeurism, which then, you know, Saves, right. saves her I'm sure Even if he didn't intend that I'm sure he loves it But what, what, it, what it also Like oh yeah for sure Like I, once again Who knows what yeah, What yeah, he yeah. means But I'll be honest This year has been A rough start to the year <laughs> And I Was more than happy To think that Maybe Lynch gave us a happy ending, but just did it in that Lynchian way that he just made it really hard for us to work out. You gotta work for it because it it does kind of because all the dialogue kind of flows into each other and the scenes match up and yeah, right. uh, and it's almost like when Diane reappears in the seventeenth uh, episode, that's when Dale knows, oh, we're gonna succeed, and 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 the sex scene in the motel is it's all if if you remember correctly she kind of puts her hand over dale's face because it's it's kind of like a you know it's about female power and it's about uh, tantric sex being able to you know opening up this uh sure i mean yeah i'll I'll re-watch with that in mind yeah Yeah. like it really it really made me want to re-watch it yeah definitely yeah definitely but that's a that's a an interesting interpretation because I, anyway, we'll get more into it. But I, I read that and I thought you might find it interesting. Yeah, wow. Uh, getting back to this version, though, uh, with the way the series lays the foundation for the story from the slightly off moments, like characters speaking in a way that suggests another time to the murder of Laura Palmer and the sudden appearance of Ronette Polanski, even to Cooper's need to know about Douglas Fir trees. The series really kicks into gear when Cooper removes the tiny type letter R from under Laura's fingernail. What is it about this scene that creeps me out so much? Uh, there's, there's always a visceral reaction oh. to uh, fingernail, fingernails oh. coming off, oh. fingernails getting bent back. Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, and 
when he puts the pliers in, it yeah. goes deep yeah, yeah, yeah. in and then it's the pulling yeah. out. Oh, my God. Yeah. It still creeps me out. It's one of those things. It's, it's similar to in a movie when something goes into someone's eye. There's yes. just these there, there's these soft vulnerable parts to our body that yes. aren't supposed to uh, have blunt force trauma. Oh. <laughs> the underside of your fingernails is definitely one. Wow! It, <laughs> it, once again, I've seen that scene stacks of heaps of times, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I was still sitting here going, "Oh, it's rough. <laughs> it's rough." <laughs> and it is also, you know, you expect weird things with murders and you expect weird things uh, to be going on but there is it just hints at oh you know how you thought this was all a bit weird nah you underestimated us it's much worse and and that there's a sequence to this yeah that if there's one letter even though it's not necessarily stated the implication is that something's being spelled out yeah so she's not the only one yeah. There's going to be more, or there has been more. And that's when we hear about Teresa yeah, Banks yeah, yeah, and all yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff yeah. as well. Yeah. And, you know, we've we've already had a hint of it with Ronette, yeah. you know. Like, that's a hell of a scene too. Oh, her coming across the bridge. <sighs> Awful. Awful. And, and, and fascinating in that I, I think there's kind of no music for the first part of it. So it's like you're just watching it, and then it's like, what is happening? And then the music cue comes in, like... By the way, this is creepy, and it's like, no, 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 I was already creeped out. But thank you for reminding me. Yeah, there's also that. There's also that thing where you know, so much, so much American TV is so amoral in the way it depicts sexual violence. Right. In that, there's still an element of quote unquote sexiness to it. Right. You know, like I've seen a lot of the, you know, those fucking disgusting CSI shows, which are just. Like, they're pornography as far as I'm concerned. Not, right. You know, not, not sexual, you know, not putting like, ooh, Pornhub, but yeah. pornography and like... Imagine the, if you went to Pornhub and there's like... I'm sure all, there's a All genre. 19 seasons of CSI. Oh, no, sure. no, just, just the show just, yeah. CSI. Well, I mean, the way that the violence is depicted is it's, it's a level of gratuitousness. I, I remember when I would watch ads for CSI on Channel 10 and it'd be like, tonight on CSI, the sexiest murder ever. Like, they never mm. said that, but it was that breathy, throaty, sexy yeah. voice. It's like, you're talking about someone getting murdered. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. You know, and, you know, it'd be that thing of, you know, some woman in a negligee getting murdered and a side tit hanging out while it's happening. And it's like, right. how, what do you do? Like, what do you do? How are you supposed yeah. to feel? How are people supposed to feel? And, and in this, Renette Polanski's walking across the... Um, across the bridge in a in a in a yeah. a nighty or whatever whatever yeah. you want to call it a negligee, uh, and there is obviously there's nothing sexy about it, but it, the way it's shot and the, the, there's nothing there's no stamp put on by the filmmakers of like, hey check it out it's a teenage girl and it's pretty yeah. horrible but it's also like hey it's kind of sexy she's yeah. in a negligee like it's like no it's horrific yeah it's horrible as it should be you know yeah. I, I I have no problem with violence or horror depicted on screen if it's done in that way if it's done in a way that makes you feel like you should feel bad yeah you should feel bad yeah and that sequence makes you feel awful yeah um and i think that's a really responsible you know if you're going to depict this stuff you should it should this should be some level of responsibility yes it's the reason i always hated those wolf creek movies i, yes. det- I detest them I, it's essentially it's ivan malat one of Australia's worst monsters that ever fucking, you know, the, just a complete savage 
a wild animal. Actually, that's an insult to animals. Yeah. Uh, hey, so, come no, on, man. Is, I know you love animals. I love animals. Uh, you know, but I'm sure he slept really warmly at night knowing that there was, he'd basically become Australia's Freddy Krueger. Right. Fucking, you know, oh, he's a little fucking pun as I fucking knife some cunt spine. It's like, yeah. Jesus Christ, man, this is horrible. And that movie was lauded and received so well. And then mm. a movie like Snowtown, mm. which... Fuck man, like I don't like. I think it's one of the greatest Australian movies ever made. I cannot recommend that you ever watch it, right? Because it is truly, yeah, truly horrific. I mean, you you see, there's only one sequence where you see something, right? And I won't even describe it, but it makes you feel <laughs> yeah. the way you should feel watching something like that. You oh. shouldn't be going cool. Yeah, you should be like wanting to throw up and wanting yeah. to stop watching immediately. Yeah. And that is as that is, and, and the funny thing was, the reviews at the time were like, "Oh, it just I felt sick," and it's like, yeah, yeah. You're watching a movie about some really horrible shit, you should yeah. feel sick. Yeah, like, what are you? What's wrong with you? God, we 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 did discuss doing a, a series of movies called Once Is Enough, like really, <laughs> <laughs> really, really good movies that, that like Once Is Heaps. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. You the, know. the irony being that we'd have to watch it twice to do the podcast. Well, that would be uh, <laughs> that would be the irony. Um, as someone who grew up in Adelaide when the family murders were happening, and you know, Mum as as uh, as a parent mm. was kind of. I remember I'm I'm misquoting her here, but I, there, she was almost more terrified having a young son going out than she was if she had a daughter. I'm not saying that's quite mm, right, mm, but mm. because you know the family murders. Were, I don't know anything about that. Oh, uh, I'm not one of these ghouls. No, that, no. Know. It's it's so the family murders were, uh, a, you know, a lot of it's uh, there's fact and fiction that's mixed up with it, and there's things that you have to be careful about what you say because you know, n- not a huge amount was brought to the front. But essentially, there were these uh, people in high places, you know, judges and all that kind of stuff, who would. Uh, take young men and drug them and and film uh, snuff movies. Oh, and there was a um, a wonderful, lovely uh, journalist who hosted the Channel Nine News called Rob Kelvin, and his son was uh, abducted from O'Connell Street oh. in North Adelaide. And the uh, the stories that I've heard from um, my friends who are police and uh, are horrific. So. Uh, this weirdly this series uh, or this uh, Twin Peaks movie when I watched it really tapped into some stuff that uh, was sitting at the back of my subconscious you know it was a very Mm. creepy time Uh, the use of the magazine like Flesh World Mm. really honestly freaked me out and specifically Mm. you know when they find it the transition to Leo's truck Mm. To have a magazine called Flesh World mm. to transition to just a guy's truck parked is kind of like a real statement on evil to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Flesh World. Oh. I mean, yeah. It's. I mean, and there's so much in that title. Oh yeah. Like it's not just a like on the surface. It's just the name of a stick magazine. Yeah. But on another level, it's like, well, yeah, there's... <laughs> it's hinting at more stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, the heart-shaped necklace with the note written in blood, 
you know, that reads yeah. Fire Walk with me still creeps me out. Well, and the fact that the writing's shit. Oh, the writing is shit. Um, <laughs> st- the poem still freaks me out. Oh, and his delivery yeah. is terrifying. The way he's kind of clucking his tongue as he says it. Oh, my like Lord. Like licking his teeth and shit. It's just... <laughs> well, it, even to the extent of, like, the original, uh, the poem is, through the darkness of future past, the magician longs to see one chance out between two worlds. Fire, walk with me. And the way he delivers it, there's, there was a lot of... Uh, one of the things that I remember we discussed because we watched it so many times was is it chance or chance like Mm. but it's all in the creepy delivery fire walk with me okay fun question to lighten the mood does bobby briggs foreshadow the grunge movement a year before it hits big (laughs) think about it handsome rebellious haunted flannel shirts boots and floppy hair Yeah, and he's still got he's got one foot in the uh, the oncoming grunge world and one foot in the kind of fifties greaser world. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> he, um, I, he was the character that I enjoyed the most yeah. this time around. I really enjoyed his performance. Uh, I loved him in Twin Peaks: The Return. Yeah, uh, but this performance, even uh, you know when he finally gets to school and he has to go in and he does the walking backwards oh, yeah, yeah, thing yeah, 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 yeah. and his his woofing. Like, like I hate Mike. Yeah. Like, no, I Mike hate sucks. Mike. Mike's a, f- like, awful. Well, because he has no personality. Yeah. And Bobby's a dick. Yeah. But he's really entertaining. Well, he's got the, he's got the swagger that only a fucking hot 17-year-old yeah. guy can have. Yeah. You know. And, again, very briefly, to flash forward, all that's been sucked out of him by the time he's an adult. Yeah. When, when we revisit him in 25 yeah. years. I mean, that's one of the great... Well, that's one of the great character transformations. Yeah. All that, all that swagger is gone. Yeah, because life has come along. Yeah, and uh, as as it happens to so many. Yeah, <laughs> as it happens Teaches to so many jocks. Yeah. Hey, uh, <laughs> let's take a quick break, and we'll be back just after this. Thank you to Ben, as always, for joining me today. Make sure you check out his new project. Thank God for David Attenborough. Uh, that is the new podcast. That I think there might be about four episodes out by now. So they kind of did like a, a three-part drop on the first week, and uh, I think the fourth episode is up now. Uh, he produces that with the audio genius, Sean Allen, who did the audio for our first Beautiful Tales for the Disenchanted. So uh, check that out. We'll be back tomorrow with more Twin Peaks discussion, including the Squid Bits part of the show. Let's finish today's podcast with a quote from Mark Frost, the co-creator of Twin Peaks. I've always had an idealistic streak about storytelling in that I believe we owe more to audiences than repeatedly bludgeoning them over the head while stealing their lunch money. We owe them inspiration. That's why I'm more interested now in creating new heroes than hooking up jumper cables to old ones. Until then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.